But guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's such a treat like, to be able to talk to the creators after watching the film. So thank you so much. That's brilliant. Um, so uh, I'm going to start off just by asking you, whose idea was this? And at what stage did you, like, was it Michael Garland, the producer, or did you have the idea? Or was it your idea, Kevin? It was Tommy Kiernan, weirdly. It was. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was. It was Tommy. I um, um, had been doing a lot of television uh, in the UK, and uh, I've known Tommy for a long time. And I, I mentioned to him that I needed something a bit mad, a bit personal, and preferably Irish, did he, you know, to inspire me again. And... Um, he brought me into Hotchstigas and pulled out Dark Lies the Island and said, um, get your laughing gear around that and tell me what you think. And I read those stories and I fell in love with the world of them. And I was very, very drawn to a very particular story called uh, Breakfast Wine. And I just, I rang Kevin and I said, I love the story and I want to make a film out of it. And, um, I suppose that's how our working relationship started. We, we made a film, uh, it got a bit of notice, it won some awards, and that gave us a kind of um, momentum, I guess. And uh, we had something to show people when we started talking about um, a feature film. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a case then of kind of identifying which characters and which stories that we wanted to kind of put in the same small town which is completely fictional and related to nowhere in the northwest <laughs> um, and it was funny uh, we kind of it, it was fun to take characters from different setups in my stories and run them all in together and see what would happen when they collided when their little worlds collided with each other you know um, i guess when i started writing the script i was imagining a sort of an especially ripe episode of dallas Directed by David Lynch and County Roscommon. Um, that was the kind of plan. So I think we, we kind of ticked all those those boxes by the end of it. But it was it was it was great on a personal level. I live like five minutes from most of the of the settings up, up around there. So it's um, it was nice to get it up on screen. It's a really magical and beautiful part of the country, which is underused as a cinematic resource. You know, so it was great to to get the setting in there. Yeah, that's interesting because they keep referring to it as like dark and they won't get out of there and I'm going, well, it looks really nice actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, it is a very, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I've spent so much time away these last eight or nine years and um, I really appreciate this country now and I really appreciate its kind of unique, and I don't mean this in a kind of sentimental, vulture bullshit way. I mean, it's got proper balls, the landscape. You know, it grabs you. It's got a feel. It's got drama. And uh, that area around Carrigan, Shannon and Boyle, and it is absolutely, it's kind of damp and, and squidgy and rain-soaked, and but flat, but really, I think very powerful and the the lake itself as well is, has its own kind of pull as we all know um so i loved shooting around there i really did it was very special it was it, it was great fun because i'm in boyle every day doing the shopping and when the filming was going on there's a hearse in one scene and i was behind two ladies of a certain age in the super value in boyle and they were going who's dead Who's dead? And they had half the town buried inside. Is it, is, it, is it Katie? She wasn't looking great today, so, uh, so it was good fun. And actually, where the climactic scene where Tommy saves the kid, um, 
that's where I go swimming all the time, so it's really nice to see it, <laughs> see it used in the, in the film. Now, I'm kind of curious because, like, the, when I read Dark Lies the Island, absolutely fell in love with it. Um, but, you know, because I'm somebody who works in TV and film, I can't help but always looking at material going, could you adapt that? And actually, this the Tommy Tiernan story, um, I was like, that's a really interesting premise for a movie. But a lot of the stories are not dramatic in and of themselves. They're like, here's this moment in time and I've captured this world. It's this like, moment. So I'm just curious because it feels like, and then you can tell us if you want to tell us the gossip, like City of Bohan is dying to be dramatised. Yeah. But this isn't the one of Kevin's work that I would have said, make a movie out of this. So I'm just curious, like, when Tommy put that in your hands, like, what did you think? And then again, what was, like, you're saying you just went, okay, let's see which one of these would be fun to collide. Were there, I'm interested in the routes you went down and abandoned, like, were there stories that you wanted to put in that you had to let go? And there, how there was kind of winnowing out a little bit, yeah. I mean, what I was kind of interested in doing is to see if, in the script, if I could get a rendition that was accurate to the, to the tone of the original material, which are always on the page when I'm trying to do a kind of is trying to subvert the reader's expectation a little bit, you know, try, trying to romp with them and I'm not sure what exactly, can we laugh here or is it dark or what is it? And I, that's what I'm really happy about with the film. I think it's a very accurate rendition of that tone where the, where the audience is quite, you know, all the while, country okay, are we allowed to laugh or is this dark? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, that's exactly where, what I'm drawn to, I suppose. You know, if you laugh at the darkest, bleakest moment, that makes me a very happy man. Um, well, I thought it was really, you made the funniest film I think I've ever seen, mm -hmm. not just the funniest Irish film I've yeah. ever seen, a film with me in it. It's not a film with me in it, the movie's title is a film with me in it, because <laughs> some people always think, yeah, yeah, sure, that's your favourite movie, Mary Kay. Um, you know, so I was really interested in that pairing, because actually I think of Dark Lies the Island as really dark. Um, and then, but this was such an interesting pairing, because I think of you as kind of comic genius really you know well so. I, I i suppose one of the other things that really drew and i of course i only realized this afterwards but one of the things that i'm very drawn to in kevin's writing and in his worlds is the idea of people hanging on to their sanity just idea, about yeah, yeah just about hanging on to their sanity and the the the, the, the frenetic desperation of people who are really clinging on by by the skin of their their teeth, to some kind of sanity and really struggling with it. And um, the the other thing that I that I really loved about it is that kind of male toxic poisonous rivalry that there is between those three men. Um, I think it's very well described. Um, and very well acted by those guys. I think Pat Shaw is amazing. I, I'm, I'm always amazed when people tell me my, my work is dark. I, I, I think I write out and out comedies. You, know? um, you should see the stuff I don't leave out of the um, The stuff that I don't publish. But um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 was, it, was, it was thrilling to see some of the performances um, that we, we, we got from the gang, you know. Um, not least Pat, um, as, as, as you mentioned. But it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's like when we talked about the script over over a longish period of a couple of years before I started to write. We talked a lot about the character of Richie um, as kind of a fulcrum for it. And we used the kind of the unoriginal expression, the man who fell to earth, 
a lot, you know, just this character who kind of comes to life. Yeah, who just comes to life in this place and goes, what the fuck is this? And as he pieces it together, the audience starts to piece it together. So that was a critical thing, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Locating him in the story and giving him, you know, a decisive part in the drama as it kind of unfolds. Um, and that was kind of the, the key to it, I think, to tie, tying the other stories together. So you talked about it for a couple of years before you ever started yeah. writing it, and that was like a dialogue between the two of you? Well, what happens, you know, it's like a lot of these things. It's a couple of years, but really what he means is every three months he's in, I don't know where you were, America, I was in Toronto. We'd have very long Skype conversations, then go back to what we were doing mm -hmm. three months later, and then drafts would start appearing out of that process. Yeah. Um, no, was this it, the it first went, time you've written a screenplay again? No, I, I, I had another that I do. I have another one with Element called the Gigi, is a horse racing story, which I possibly did a first draft of before I did that, and that's still um, in process. So I tried a few things. Um, so I've been kind of, I think, five or six short films in the last kind of ten years. So it's kind of, yeah, I've been, I've been dipping my toe in a bit, all right. But your it, second feature film? Yeah. So it's 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 um. It, there's, there's a great there's a great learning curve going from writing prose fiction to writing for the screen because um, you know prose fiction is kind of very forgiving in some ways as long as the sentences are good enough you can get away with anything on the page the reader will go anywhere with you uh, it really complicates when you have to remember cameras and actors as well and it, there's a whole new kind of um, show in place but um, and you can't write I, interior life right you yeah, have to think about you have to, how yeah. that's going to be Sure. Ex ex Externalised, right? And and even or how how can you how can you bring it out without spelling it out? And like we we talked a lot as 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 we were kind of plotting and planning it as well about not explaining, you know, not mm -hmm. not giving away too much um, to the audience because I'm always weary with any kind of story to tie it all up neatly at the end because the reader leaves the book or the audience leaves the cinema and goes that was lovely and immediately forgets about you know. So it, it it's especially with Tommy's character of Richie we were very careful I think to go okay let's not give too much about him you know, mm -hmm. let's keep him quite mysterious and working around the edges of the thing like that and he doesn't get wrapped up with a bow no like we never find the answers to that no he's got my favourite line in the whole film which is um, when he relocates the guy's shoulder and Mo says to him you must have kept some rough company in your day and he thinks and he goes, I wouldn't put it past myself. <laughs> That's a really great line. Yeah. Uh, so a, a writer shouldn't admit to having a favourite line, but I do. And it's um, that very tender marital love scene between Pat and Charlie Murphy when he's naked and hogtied on the floor. And he says, would you bait me like the fucking weasel I am, Sarah? <laughs> and it's one of Pat's all-time best deliveries, I think. Just, just, I love it. But it is an unusual performance for Pat Short, isn't it? Like, you know, he's really reined in, like in terms of... The comedy feels like he's taking. Yeah, it very no, he, he is right in. He's he's extraordinary. Actually, you know, he's very. He allowed himself to be very vulnerable, and he. The more I pushed him to do nothing, the more he liked it. I think I just kept saying less, less, less. You know, because he's. I mean, he's proper comedy genius, and it's you know, he's itching, to land you the funny moment. Because it's it's just it's instinctive with him. He's so British. But I was just interested in exploring something else with him, you know. Um, and I I um, I really admire his um, courage when I told him 
I want you to be naked or I want to drown you or because that's him, you know. Being, mm -hmm. And that's really tough getting your head dunked in like that all the time. That's tough going. And it's yeah. a cold lake. I know, I know, I know it yeah. too well. <laughs> oh, so you didn't use like a body double for when he's being thrown in the lake? Well, Tommy, Tommy, um, we we did right at the last second. We did um, use a body double, but you know when he's being dunked in the, yes. in the um, jacuzzi. Jacuzzi. That's him. All right. Yeah. So it's only twice when there's a stunt guy. It's really him. Okay. And you know he's been pushed and pushed, and Mo's so strong. Pat's legs went right up. Yeah. He broke a rib, didn't he? Yeah, something. he broke a rib. Yeah. Um, so I, I love him for that. Suffering for his article. Listen, we should let the audience come in. Um, I'm sure there are people who have questions they'd like to ask. Uh, do we have a roving mic? Is that how it works? There's John. Hey, John. How are you? Hey, John. There's uh, Sersha. Do you want to stand Stephen up? Stephen Rennix is here as well. Stephen Rennix is in the music. Do you want to take a bow? No, he wants to remain seated. <laughs> okay. He's happier being grumpy, I think. Um, but do we have any questions from the audience? I can't I find do. You do? Yes. Yeah. Um, the two guys in particular, the brothers. Yeah. Uh, did you shoot them with Appalachian hillbillies in mind? So just for people behind this person, it might not be, have been able to hear the question is... TJ and Pacho, those two guys in the band. Did you shoot them with Appalachian hillbillies in mind? Um, I just think they're they're amazing those two. In fact, Owen is here, I think, somewhere. But anyway, um, yeah, kind of. It's kind of deliverancey, isn't it? That you kind of feel they're. It's it, it's really interesting actually because my work as a, as a story writer is very influenced by American work and by American short story writers, uh, especially writers of the American South. And I always think writers of the American South and writers of the West of Ireland have a lot in common thematically. And, and, and in terms of dialect with what's going on in the work. So I think it's, it's kind of a good re reference to bring in Appalachia to it. It's Appalachia County Roscommon. Um, but I mean, I did come down from the train today from Carrick on Channel, I was telling Kevin, and there was a TJ on the train. And he had his mobile phone on with Beyonce full volume. And he was like this slumped of a table, having had a few tugs. There's loads of those last. The Sligo train is gold. <laughs> and, I, and I seem to have some sort of very trusting face because they just come to me all the time and offload. You know, it's wonderful. You, you can't you can't go short of material. But just talk about that. Like I've often heard that about music. That like Irish music has influenced um, Appalachian uh, music or you know that kind of country white music. But I haven't heard that about literature before. Oh yeah, I I I think you read a Flannery O'Connor story, for example, at Cobie County Mayo. You know, okay. the, the, the character types, and and you know, there's so much kind of. Irish and Scottish immigration to those parts of America, it, it naturally comes out mm -hmm. in the kind of spirit and soul of the place. Um, so when you're when you're writing rural Ireland and the west of Ireland, it seems like a kind of a, a note that seems right sometimes to bring in. And I think it, it definitely comes out in, in the movie also. And then there's this kind of cross-pollination there where you're then influenced by that and, you know, you're a west of Ireland writer, but you can see all of those Americana references. Oh, for sure, yeah. And it was, you know, in, in my very kind of early days as a baby writer, I was essentially trying to write American novels. You know, I, But I that trailer is pure Sam Shepard. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. That's what I think of when I see that trailer. I don't know if people are familiar with Sam Shepard, American playwright, but it's very... Can, can you remember specific movies we talked about, Ian, when we were kind of plotting? Uh, I'm always going on about um, Terence Malick. 
about those kind of 70s terms. Like, like Days of Heaven. Days of Heaven, especially. Yeah. And Badlands. Yeah, I, I love the, the way he uses voiceover. I, I, I was, I was very influenced by the, you know, you know those photographs, Johnny would know the name of, you know the guy who stages a massive, like a murder scene, but it's a still, and he's got a budget of a million per shot. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was very, I, I saw a whole load of his photographs and I thought that there's something about that that I'm really, really uh, drawn to. And um, we did talk about David Lynch a lot. And then I showed Carl, the guy who shot it, I showed, I showed him some paintings that I'd seen. Weird, handsome Kiefer, all sorts of weird mixtures of things uh, that you talk and pour and pour over and pour over and pour over and then you forget it. And so on the first day of shooting, I said, I don't want to know about references now. I just want to really respond to this emotionally. I, I don't want to do it with the rational TV part of my brain. I just want to do it with... Um, the irrational part of my brain, just to, to explore a, a texture or a feeling, an atmosphere. I was much more interested in that because I knew the comedy was there. I knew that stuff would really come out, you know. But I really wanted to create a vibe, I suppose. It's it's trying to get the kind of um, the kind of spaciness or weirdness that are at the edges of the story. Trying to get those on on, on the screen, and I think it's it's very interesting what you say about letting it come from the subconscious. You know, because I, I I always think the only thing writing is like in life is dreaming. You know, it comes from the same kind of subconscious place, and we're all brilliant storytellers when we dream. You know, <laughs> uh, you know the lines are perfect. Those mad scenes open out naturally. All this narrative logic. Then you wake up and you can't do it. You know. So when I'm writing, that's where I'm always trying to be: is to go into that murky subconscious place and just get these characters and atmospheres to come from a kind of place without thinking too hard about it. Try, try to let it come naturally. Yeah. Yeah. David Lynch talks a lot about how he meditates in order yeah. to get there. Do you do that? I, uh, you meditate a bit, do you? I, I, I do. Yeah, I do. I'm too impatient. Tell them everything, yeah. why don't you? <laughs> I do. I've, I've recently started meditating. It's true. Um, I actually quite like. You're it. looking very calm. Yeah. yeah, I actually quite like it. I, I um, but when I when I was when I was directing it, I definitely um, was saying, part of my brain is so used to that kind of muscle of, you know, episodic American, episodic UK. I. You know that you go these shots, these shots, these shots, and I just didn't want to do that. So mm. it's kind of slightly unnerving because I was kind of going, no, no. What I really would like to try and convey is how alone this person is, or how drawn he is to this water. Or I was much more interested in, as Kevin was saying, the, that impressionistic, um, visceral. And it's, you know, it's risky. I, I guess it is risky. You can come across as wanky and. Well, you, you need the, the actors with the right faces to do that. And yeah. If you look at yeah. someone like Tommy, he's that great haunted kind of melancholy air mm -hmm. on, on his face. He's, he's, he's a natural comedian as well, but he has that, that kind of depth behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that really comes out in this, I think. Now, I thought the scene uh, that was the first proper introduction of Dog Mannion yeah. was just amazing. Like, absolutely amazing. So I'm curious to know, did it come out easy on the page? Did it, well, did you get it first time in the can? So oh, let's go to your first... To, to Peter Coonan, yeah, he really goes for a good lesson on, on, on Doggy. A really difficult character to play because he's, he's, you know, so unhinged but at the same time there's something kind of tender and, and kind of human still in there as well. And I think Peter does a, has a great I mean, it, it is incredible, yeah, having spent so much time away. One of the real joys of making a film is discovering these actors. What a generation of <coughs> actors! They're incredible. 
I mean, they, they stand up to anything, really. I mean, I think some of the stuff that Mo, you know, Mo, who, who plays the chicken farmer, he, he just sort of put on a cap and he dropped his shoulder and it was just bump. You know, and it was all very instinctive and suddenly he was kind of slouchy and disappointed and impotent and, you know, he had all of that stuff. And I thought he was fantastic. And Charlie, Charlie uh, Murphy is extraordinary in it. I mean, I, I really think we have an incredible resource here. Of well, well, what's great as well is most of the actors are actual genuine boggers, you know? <laughs> uh, which is great. They have that stuff naturally, you know, there's, there's not forced about it. Like, yeah. <laughs> what, was it you know, what was it in the commitments? Uh, rednecks need not apply. It's the opposite here, right? <laughs> Um, South side is a redneck thing, don't apply Do we have any other questions from the audience? Yep. We're just going to ask you to shout out because so we'll have this lady and then over in the corner. Okay. Hey, there's a question for Kevin. Um, you talked about the process of narrowing down which characters you're going to pull out for this film. Did you keep some for later movies, some stories that you didn't want to touch now? Because it's such a rich group of stories. Uh, thanks very much. Yeah, I, I I have loads of notions out, out, out of the shed that I work in. And actually, uh, Carmel Winters said something recently that I thought was very true. She said the, the, the biggest enemy of a good idea is another good idea. You know, yeah, I get that a lot. I'll be started on something and go, hang on, no, this is a better idea, I'll start on this. So there's, there's a lot of that process. But, um, it, it you know, as, as a, a writer, I, I write a lot of talk. I write a lot of dialogue and, and it becomes natural after a while to, 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 for me to go to the desk and start imagining actors very quickly um, and, and, and see what I can do with that. It's probably a surprise to me when my first book of stories came out in 2007. If you asked me what I would have been up, up to in, in 12 years' time, I would have said, oh, writing novels, just, just that. Um, so it's been a little bit of a surprise to me that more often than not now when I go to my desk in, in the morning, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the screen and I'm thinking about actors. Um, and, 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 and what I can try and make for them. Um, so it's, uh, but there's certainly, there are certainly other, other characters buried within my stories that I could, I could try and dig out at some point, you know? It's, it's always judging. I think the hardest part in any writer's um, working life is trying to figure out what's the right project for your desk at a particular time. Are you ready to write this story, you know? And very often in the early days of a writing career, you're getting ahead of yourself. And you're trying to do stuff that you know the ambition is 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 gone past your ability at that stage, um, but but definitely say that again. The ambition. I think in the early days when you're trying to you you're too ambitious almost oh, for, yeah. for what you can do in terms of your skills. But yeah. uh, but definitely there are there to go back to your question. There are characters in there who, 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 are, who are attempting to me uh, to try and give them new life. And I'm not precious about a kind of quite a free adaptation of the work. Um, you know, the short stories or the novels exist and are, are their own thing. So I'm quite interested in using them as, as, as leaping off boards to make mm -hmm. something new and put the characters into new situations and see what, see what happens with them. Would you let someone else adapt your work? Um, kind of reluctant to, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I just I'm kind of I remember hearing it. John Irving talking and yeah. he was just saying every single adaptation of my books has been a heartbreak, you yeah. know, until Thor and the, the, the There is time. another really fine writer doing a, doing a screenplay of Beetlebone, that novel, the John Lennon novel because I was four years on the book and I didn't want to go back into it again. Um, but generally, I'm, I'm quite protective of it, I guess. Yeah, Naturally, yeah. it's still, yeah, yeah. Your, 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 your characters are your, your, your babies, you know, it's kind of, mm -hmm. you want to keep, keep, keep track of them. Um, we have another question over there. Yeah, um, actually, kind of works pretty well with that. Um, was 
there any sort of character that you really want to get into the screenplay but just didn't work out? Is there anyone in particular you had in mind? Had we an earlier draft scene, I think, maybe. Um, For example, I was like, kind of expecting kind of diversity and kid characters to disappear at some point. Oh, my, my evil old ladies who are robbing <laughs> oh, children. Yeah. We talked about it, we thought, Jesus, no, we can't do that to people, you know. Um, no, you're right, there's a, there's a whole treasure trove of stuff. And, you know, it's funny because we did a screening in, um, in Cork. And uh, I met a couple of people after the screening and they were, they were Kevin wasn't there, but they were saying... Nobody can write uh, cork like like Kevin, and I think what they're really saying is he has such a strong sense of place, of location, and such a strong ear for a very specific way that people um, talk, and that's that's what I really um, enjoy about. I mean, you look at this and you think nobody else could have. It's very Kevin Barry. It's it's down to the last comma. It's Kevin Barry. And um, I think that's why the actors really relished it so much, you know, especially people like Pat. I think he really loved it because to him it felt like saying, it was almost like throwing a hand grenade at all the sort of slightly cliched, larger than life comic characters that he did in his life, in his career. He's so amazing them. So here he got to do a very kind of serious version of them, a much darker version of them. And I think he really. Um, that was really thrilling for him. So you were saying you've watched it with audiences a couple of times now. Yeah. So have there been reactions that have surprised you? Sorry, Kevin, I can see your that one microphone. Is you oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very nerve wracking initially. You're waiting for the first laugh and go, please, you know, give us give us the first laugh. But it's it, yeah, it's 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 what's really interesting is the way different lines work on different nights. It's really mysterious. A line that gets a great laugh one night doesn't another night and a different line gets it. It's, you get the same thing with stage plays all the time as well. And it's so mysterious what, what, yeah, what yeah. is going on with the atmosphere. Yana has a line that she does brilliantly where she says, stand up there, Yana, we'll give you a round of applause. Stand up because you're brilliant in it. Go on, quick. Go on. <laughs> But she has one of the, she has a line where she they you know uh, daddy's been killed and Charlie Murphy says we're going to have to talk to the guards now that we're going to have to face reality, and Yana turns around to her and says and what am I going to do smuggle the penal fucking Grigio into jail, <laughs> and uh, when we did the test screening the very first one the roof nearly came off it was fantastic so and then there's another night where that might get a mid laugh or a largest laugh. But on some nights, some things land really, really profoundly, and you, as um, as Kevin says, you've no way of explaining it. Like it can't. It's really unpredictable and scary. Yeah, you don't you don't know what's going on in yeah. the room, you know. Okay. Um, do we have time for one more? Where's Saliba? Oh, do we? We're fine for time. We're fine for time. Okay, great. Is there anyone else in the audience that wants to? Oh, yes, yeah. um, maybe Kevin, this is for you. And um, there's like loads of humour in there and in your stories, and I, I love them. But I mean, it, it, there were some really dark moments in there, too, yeah. right? Yeah. And, I mean, how dark is the island at the moment? Sorry, can everybody hear the question? Okay, so the question was there's great humour in there, but there's a lot of darkness as well. So, great question. How dark is the island at the moment? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I think that. Comedy as a form is is the most true to you, human experience in terms of how we get through 
the really hard stuff and the really difficult stuff. Um, you know, it's that kind of, if you don't laugh, you'll cry kind of element of things. I always think of, of, of an Irish funeral and, and the scene outside the dead house, you know, when it's basically all people taking the piss and making wisecracks. Or at least it is in Limerick, where I come from. And it's because they can't handle the view of the void that's opened up, you know, and we, we kind of laugh against it. And there, there's a great title of a, a Nabokov story, Laughter in the Dark, um, which I often kind of rob to use as a description of, of, of the way I operate, really. I think the work is very much after in, in the dark and it's a it's a coping mechanism, a way of getting through the really difficult stuff in life. But do you think things are particularly dark at the moment? They're not great <laughs> <laughs> at the moment. But yeah, it's kind of I, I, I do think it, it, it kind of um it reflects a lot of a lot of stuff that's actually going on in the in, in, in the in the country at the moment. Like once you get outside the metropolitan zone it becomes a very diff, diff, different country very quickly and, and, and people struggling a lot with yeah. the way things are going, you know, so it's, it's yeah, in, in small Irish towns and in Roscommon and Longford, a lot of deprivation, um, a lot of strange new kind of um, things happening, like drug problems and stuff that were never in small Irish towns, which are very prevalent now, um, so it, it, it's changing and not in always kind of happy and, and, and glorious ways. I think some of that gets into the film. You answered that in a heartfelt way as well, Ian. Do you live in rural <laughs> No, I don't, but I totally... I mean, I shot for six weeks in Boy when I did Moon Boy. And so I'm a little bit familiar with that area. But even since then, I think what shocked me was the difference. You know, more shops are closed, you have a sense of people struggling. Um, and I think, I think on a, on a sort of more basic level, I think there is that idea of mental health. You know that, that it's something that in a small town, if if somebody has to go away or if somebody's not well, in their head, it has to be hidden. There's a stigma. There's a shame to it. And um, I think um, Kevin has kind of drawn very powerfully on on those kind of um, subjects. You know, it's kind of. There is something to that shame that's horrible and isolating and debilitating for Peter Coonan's character, you know, that mm-hmm. he's kind of ostracised and forgotten. Mm. I, I think there was actually an especially kind of darkish period um, around sort of zero, nine, ten after the big crash, when a lot of places just emptied out of young people, like visibly. You'd be walking around and all the young people were gone. And that gave a really haunted kind of air to the place for a while, when a lot of the stories for that collection would have been written around zero, nine, ten, eleven, and and definitely that kind of. You never think your own work is political, but of course it all feeds into to what you're doing, you know, all all, all the time, what's going on around you. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting as a as as a as a writer, you make decisions in your life that don't seem to be connected with the work at all. Pragmatic stuff like where am I going to live? But of course that turns out to be then a very important creative decision in your life because it starts to feed into the work and and it gets. Uh, darker all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember, oh, sorry, I take a I remember having a conversation with you before about how, like, with you and your wife, Olivia, about, like, how those winters in the west of Ireland are significantly harder than a winter in Dublin. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we consider Dublin the Sunshine Coast when we come down here, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's wet and it's dank and it's damp, um, but it's, it's also a really beautiful place, you know, and the people are really sweet-natured behind it all. Um, so there, there, there's a lot to be said for it as well. Okay, we have another question here. Hi, um, Ian, I know that you've worked quite a bit in Wales. How would you compare, when you've been discussing what you think 
the state of uh, rural Ireland is? Yeah. How would you compare it to Wales? Can everyone hear? Well, Wales is the, the place where I worked in Wales is. Sorry, so Amanda was asking me. I've been working a lot in Wales, and she's asking me how I would compare it in terms of deprivation to um, where we shot the the film. Um, and actually, when we went into the villages where we shot for that series, I would say very similar. A lot of drugs, a lot of. Um, people who live on the fringes and who have no real prospects. You know, for them, going into Cardiff, it was, it's almost like a joke. To them, going into Cardiff is like flying to Monte Carlo or something, you know. So there's a lot of, you know, when I was on the train this morning, there really were four or five people who you thought you are just barely holding on there to yourself, you know. Um, and I, I think... Um, what you see in that film, I'm not sure that it's that much of an exaggeration. Well, what I, the reason I asked you about that is that I think that we can often look at something like this and think this is what's happening in our country because we're an island and we're here and yeah. we're probably Irish. But I suppose what I'm saying is somebody brought up earlier about uh, the Appalachian Mountains or the Hill Games, yeah. and you have spoken to me previously about Wales, and what I'm really trying to say is this is what's happening everywhere. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there, there's, there's, you know, um, there are versions of this in a lot of places. I would, I would assume that the north of England is full of it. Like places like Sunderland, you know, you go and 50% of people are unemployed and it's rife with all those, those issues for sure. I think what's, what's, really, what's really powerful about this particular world is that it feels very that town is really just three kind of streets, you know. The, the, it's so, everybody knows everybody because there's so few people anyway, you know. So there's a feel, an awful feeling of claustrophobia, you know, um, that you really feel when you walk around those places. Um, I still think they're very beautiful though, really beautiful. And the panacea is that somebody like Kevin and you <laughs> can find the humour in it all, the comedy in it all? Yeah, I, I, I guess um, it's it's it's. Um, I think I think like we're 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 in an era of of really great kind of disconnection, and because we're 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 so sort of um, trapped in our phones and in the online world and all that, people are finding it harder and harder to communicate openly with each other. And I think all the characters in 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 this story, and it's not accidental that there's a lot of stuff going on with phones and stuff in this, you know? It's trying to get some of that great disconnection that's out there and that people are really struggling to, to kind of maintain their sense of identity. And and there's, there's kind of stuff about work in this as well, you know, the nature of rural work changing. Like poor Martin is making a hames of the chicken farming, you know, that it, it's just not going well. And what, what do you do when those old sort of, um, sureties are gone and when those old certainties about working life are gone what open do, a dating agency maybe that dog is on the right track so yes. it's it's you know it's it's kind of a, an era of great uncertainty and mm. disconnection and I, I i hope that comes true a little bit in, in the and hardship yeah absolutely. Hardship. yeah okay um i think that's all that we have time for um but uh Thank you so much. It's really fantastic to have this chance to talk to you after the movie. Thank you. Let's get one more round of applause for Dark Angel. <laughs> <laughs>
significant applause, guys. Wow. You got them.